everybody, this is Bob Barker with the AGC of Wisconsin, and I want to welcome you to today's Ford Construction Podcast. Today, I'm pleased to have with me AGC's on-staff general counsel, Derek Allen. Welcome, Derek. Thanks for having me. Yeah, so um, for the members and, and public out there, AGC of Wisconsin is a pretty unique organization in that we've had an attorney on our staff for many years, and that attorney provides a variety of services for our members, legal um, consultation on lien laws, uh, HR issues, labor matters, contracts, et cetera, et cetera. Um, really about the only thing we don't do is represent members in court. Uh, our job is to keep them out of court, and we don't get into uh, fights between members, um, which I'm sure everybody can understand. But uh, Derek's been with us for, what, about two years, three years? Yep, going almost two. Almost two. Okay, yeah, geez. Um, and so I thought I'd have Derek on today to talk about a few things, um, uh, one of those being what seems to be kind of a rash of issues related to public bidding. And um, I think what we see whenever the private market market uh, goes through fluctuations. Um, more of our members bid in the public sector, and sometimes that can be a um, a hard lesson. So, Derek, um, tell me kind of what you've been seeing out there and hearing from the members on this public bid market. Um, I, I think the the biggest issues have come when there's a small error. Um, if, if there's a big enough air on one side or the other that that tends to get itself fixed where um, we often get questions is when there's something slightly wrong with either the the bid documents coming from the the government entity or something slightly wrong with the bid um, submissions from from the contractors so when one of those two things happens that's where um, we we tend to get questions and uh, trying to figure out how to handle that. Yeah, so I guess um, I've been familiar with a, at least a couple of these instances, but um, I guess what are some of the best practices that members can institute when they're looking at bidding on these public projects? Um, I think the first one, and this is something that probably uh, most of us have been hurt hearing since our first or second grade teacher, is read through the instructions. Read, read through all the instructions, read through them a couple times, um, if you have someone that's really particular in your office, maybe have them do it uh, because a lot of what – obviously, you're going to have price. Um, there's, there's some very easy things that, that are going to be in all of them, and those are pretty straightforward. Where you see the errors are when um, there's maybe something unique or something specific in there that's that's against um, what might have been in there the last time or what might have been in there for a different – different owner that's a little bit different. So make sure um, that you're following all those instructions because the last thing you want to do, obviously, is, is have have the best bid, um, be ready to go, and your bid gets thrown out because you added a document you weren't supposed to, didn't add a document that all things considered is pretty minor, but it's part of the instructions. Um, so really go through those things. I think another... Um, thing I would point out is obviously on bid day, things can be can be a little bit hectic with getting bids in and the deadlines coming up. But there are some things in there that, that aren't contingent upon information you're receiving at the last minute. So put those things together ahead of time um, so that when things do get a 
a little hectic on on bid day at least you've got a good base of of what you're going to be sub- submitting and and again I, c- I can't say it enough read through those instructions a few times and um, make sure that you are submitting what they're asking for nothing more nothing less yeah um, so generally how, how have these issues been getting resolved uh, so something that's a little bit tricky with this is a vast vast majority and these would be this would include conflicts really anywhere in society but especially with public bidding is most are resolved outside of the courtroom. So with a lot of these things, you can't really point to a specific court case on how to handle it when someone doesn't quite dot the I or cross the T that they're supposed to. So there are a couple ways. Um, one is um, get in touch with, with the owner, with that government entity. They, they have um, some discretion. So one thing to do is if it's a minor error or what you think is a minor error, uh, get in touch with them and discuss it with them um, because they they oftentimes are trying to do the right thing. Um, I know from, from my perspective, uh, there's been a few times where we here at the AGC have um, educated government entities on, you know, we've had this come up before or this is an area where you, you do have some discretion because um, from the government entity, the municipality, the county or whatever, they, they're worried. Um, like anybody else, they want to they want to CYA. So, um, if you can educate them on what the law is and what those um, where they have discretion, where they don't have discretion, then sometimes they can be more confident in in the decision making that um, that they have to make. Yeah, um, I know that we've learned the hard way that public uh, entities have um, some discretion, but um, so so in general, you know what. What are the responsibilities of the public entities um, with relation to letting their projects? Say, say I, I know they're different for differing or, um, public entities, but I guess starting with you know municipalities. So municipalities and most state entities, they have to publicly bid, and there's exceptions to this, but generally speaking, they have to let out for public bid any construction project over $25,000. What they can't do is if they have a $250,000 project, break it up into 10 pieces. So you got to take the project as a whole, but anything over $25,000 has to be publicly bid. And then they have to take um, the lowest responsible bid and lowest and responsible are two different things. So lowest is easy enough to, to figure out responsible is where things can get a little bit tricky. So from the public entities perspective, they're usually better off um, defining responsible ahead of time. So contractors know what they're getting into. And as you can imagine, it can be some very um, specific, highly technical projects where you really do need to have some expertise so they can lay those out. We, we consider a responsible bidder, someone that's done X amount of projects or handled projects of this size or has been in business X number of years, there's a lot of leeway given to any given entity on what, what they consider responsible. There's not, um, you know, a a checklist that's going to work for, for every group. And as you mentioned, the courts are very, uh, give a lot of leeway to any given entity on what they, how they want to define responsible. But if they are going to, um, use responsible as a way to disallow bidders, they should define that very well. Um, in the front case, or in the first place, um, lowest that 
that's usually not not too tricky. That one's easy enough to figure out with the bids themselves. So if I'm Parker Construction, I bid a general contract for a municipality, um, public entity, I guess other than the state because they're all another animal. And I'm the lowest bidder, and I think I've done everything right. And they award the project to another bidder who had a higher bid than me. What, what's my what's my uh, rights, I guess, as the low bidder? So your rights are you, and again, there's some slight difference, but in most cases, you have five days within um, either finding out who the bid was or who the project was given to, or sometimes they'll issue what's called a notice of intent to award. So they'll say, hey, here's who, here's who we consider the lowest responsible bidder. When that happens, your clock is ticking very, very quickly. So you have five days to file um, or, or send a notice of intent to dispute the award. So you got to do that within five days. And then within 10 days, then you file your actual dispute. So that, that's your process. But if you think that there is some, some gamesmanship, some fishiness, something not right with the bidding process, you, you got to get moving very quickly. Um, either contact us or, or your own private attorney because the last thing you'd want to do is have a good case on that, but you either wait too long or there's some technical defect in your, in your dispute. Uh, but the, the key thing is you got to get it moving very quickly. Yeah, and I think um, members, like you said in, you know, in your opening statement, um, when it comes to when they're actually bidding the project, they, they need to read the specs, and they need to understand those. And if there's anything out of the ordinary in there, they should consult with you, their own private legal counsel on that, before the bid, maybe, yeah. right? Yeah, or, or the owner. Or the um, owner. Go, hey, this yeah. is something that I think you're going to have questions on. Maybe you guys want to clear this up before it's bid out. Yeah, and maybe, you know, I know we had one recently, this exact case where um, – there was some question on the project and in the specs, and one of our general contractors asked the architect and didn't necessarily get the best advice from the architect. Um, it ended up in good favor for the, the member, but um, they should consult with the owner and keep the owner apprised and keep you and or uh, their own legal counsel apprised too as they go through the process. But, uh, um so switching gears a little bit, well, I guess before we leave that, I, I just want to make sure that all the members um, know that, you know, as they go through this public bidding process, that, you know, Derek services and AGC is available to them. And, and if we can't answer the question, we do have a resource of attorneys that we reach out to on occasion. Um, and we'll help the best we can to keep them in the game and out of trouble. And and we're going to switch gears here a little bit to a more exciting topic, and that's called job site disputes. And we've been seeing more and more um, of those, and it's only going to get worse, in my opinion, of um, picketing and uh, union picketing, hand billing, um, the uh, blow-up rats, um, blow-up pigs, blow-up cockroaches now. That was a new one. New Just one. saw that one for the first time. Yep. Yeah. Um, and so um, I believe, Derek, didn't the uh, one of the first things that came out in the Biden administration is that they put the green light back on Scabby the rat and 
all those blowups? Scabby was on the ropes during the Trump administration. There is a, a general rule that obviously you can speech is okay, but threats are not. And under the Trump administration, they were arguing that a giant blow up rat was more of a threat than speech. And the Biden administration um, has decided that it's pretty clearly speech. So Scabby will live for at least another four years. Yeah, what what are they calling the uh, cockroach? Cocky? Jeff? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Kind of like they're, yeah, people are naming their dogs, right? Human names. Well, I was just referring to so they... uh, a little inside joke there with our office. Oh, okay. Jeff. No, I'm not yeah. sure if the roach has a name. I'd have to check with okay. All right. their union counterparts yeah. on that. Yeah. Well, I, I guess the, the really, I guess, disturbing, you know, I, I understand the unions have their own job to do and everything like that. Um, but you know the public perception related to it, the the per- perception of the industry. I guess you know um, my experience here in Wisconsin has been that um, union general contractors and um, union MEPs, open shop MEPs, certain open shop just general trades contractors, the the job sites have historically been mixed. Um, I would say that's a pretty accurate statement. And things have, I guess, gone along pretty calmly, pretty smoothly, but they hear with a little hiccup here and there. But um, I think that those days could be numbered as far as job site harmony here in the state. And I guess, what, do you, what are you seeing? What do you, how do you recommend members deal with these types of issues when, when uh, Scabby the Rat or... Um, one of these other inflatables or hand billings shows up on their jobs? Uh, I guess I'd make two points. One is um, there is when they, when they'll start showing up or there's picketing, there can be a very strong um, feeling that you want to do something that you want to react strongly to, to countervail that. And I think in a lot of cases, probably the best way to handle it is is to just let it be let it go you know if it's not if it's not causing a, a huge distraction um to just just kind of ignore it you know it's it's like when my brother was punching me when i was little my parents would say he's just trying to get a rise out of you some of them are just trying to get a rise out of you so if you just let it go let it burn out um that that's a way that i think um that's definitely a consideration to have and i think in a lot of cases it'll you know the Scabby will be out there. The picketers will be out there. But um, after a certain amount of time, they'll both go away and, and you can move on. Uh, the other thing you need to make sure is if you do need to take proactive action, either because that's just kind of what you want to do or things are, are reaching a level or they're just not sustainable um, out on the job site, is you need to have a very clear idea of legally what you can and cannot do. So you either should contact us at the AGC or, or your own um, outside counsel before you're going to take any action at all because hand billing is treated legally. It's treated different than picketing, which is treated differently than scabby or um, the roach and those sort of things. So you want to know what you can legally do. Um, with picketing, for example, um, you might set up a what's referred to as a dual gate system. So under um, the labor laws, you can only a union can only picket um, – a primary employer, which is essentially the entity that could hire their tradespeople. So if 
let's say the plumbers union wants to pick it, they can only pick it a plumbing subcontractor. So what you can do is set up a system on the site where everyone else uses one entrance, but the plumbers uh, use a different entrance. And then by doing that, you've isolated um, where the plumbing uh, picketers could be. So that would be, um, that's a very common thing that you'll see is setting up a dual gate system. And, And again, that's something that we have a lot of experience in, so you can contact us about the the ins and outs of, of how to do that. So, if, again, the two choices are kind of do nothing, just just recognize the right that the union has to, to make themselves heard um, and just kind of wait it out. Or if you want to do something, uh, most commonly a dual-gate system is what you'd be looking at. Yeah, um, and I guess <clears throat> those that have been involved in dual-gate systems in the past understand their limitations and um, sometimes they can be effective, but um, it's, it's a real issue. That's I think is only going to get worse, especially if this pro act passes um, where the unions can pick it anybody they want to anytime, any place and all that other good stuff. That's, yeah. uh, that's right. Yeah. If the pro act passes, at least as it's currently constituted you can take the dual gates and throw them in the trash because there, there'd be no reason because uh, the only reason there's those work now is there's a prohibition on secondary boycotts which which essentially means they can't pick it um anyone other than who could employ their their tradespeople. so if that goes away then um yeah buckle up i guess as as far as job site picketing and, and those sorts of things are concerned uh, amongst other things that are in the pro act well the other thing that's in there is the um it eliminates the prohibition against hot cargo agreements, which is basically that um, right now a union can't force a contractor to work or not work with an entity that is not performing job site labor, but is maybe supplying materials to the, to the project. So um, it's, um, it's going to be really interesting to see what happens with that. Um, But who knows? It's the, it, it all depends on the filibuster, right? So we'll see what happens there. Exactly. But um, anything anything else going on uh, job sites the members need to know about that any kind of issues? Just uh, like you mentioned at the beginning, we're, we're here to answer um, any questions people have or members have, whether it's public bidding, dual gates, um, HR issues, disputes, as long as it's not disputes amongst our members. Um we're here, so don't hesitate to reach out. And your email address is Derek D E R E K dot Allen A L L E N at A G C W I dot org. And our office numbers are one eight hundred three six two eight zero two two or six zero eight two two one three eight two one. So Derek, thanks for joining us today and for being part of our AGC team. Thanks everybody. Thanks for listening to the Forward Construction Podcast. To access this and other AGC podcasts, go to the AGC website at www.agcwi.org or download directly at Google Play or Apple Podcasts. For more information on this podcast or to get involved, please contact Bob Barker at the AGC office.